Leanne Crawford, the lady that sang that song and helped write that song, wrote it uh, because she remembers a time when she was eight years old. Um, and her and her sister and her friends were together, and one of her friends uh, made a comment about her weight at the age of eight. And that comment stuck with her and in her all through her high school years. It made her really question not just her physical appearance, but really her value as a person and her value um, of a child of God. And really made her question all the lies that society would tell you, that if you don't look a certain way, nobody's going to like you, nobody's going to love you. If you don't fit into a certain category, people aren't going to appreciate you for the way you are. And so she wrote that song uh, because of those words that she remembered when she was eight years old. And so she wrote it because she remembered that so many other young ladies and honestly young men that we don't talk about, um, they've been hurt by someone else's words. And, and those hurts are deeper than any damage than any sticks and stones that she's ever had to face. And I would dare say that many of us sitting in this room or watching online, we've been on that step. We've been there, and someone else's words have caused us very deep, very deep scars. And some of us are probably still healing from those scars. The truth is that our words are powerful, and every word that comes off your lip, across your fingertips, or across your screen, can have profound impacts on someone else. In fact, it can change the direction and trajectory of someone's entire life, not just on this earth, but really their entire eternal destination. And so we need to understand, as we look at the book of Proverbs, that what Solomon tells us is that that language, words, is a gift that we have. It's a gift that our Creator gave us. The ability to communicate with one another is a beautiful gift that God has given us, and He gave us this gift. The problem is that so often and we abuse this gift and we abuse it simply because we don't understand and we take for granted the power that comes with this wonderful gift. And so this morning we're going to look at one proverb, uh, chapter 18, verse 21. I want you to go ahead and invite you uh, to that proverb. And we're going to see why this is a gift, but it's also a dangerous thing because we're going to be reminded of how powerful our words are. My hope and prayer is that as we work through this topic, we're going to be on this topic of the power of words this week and next week. And my prayer, honest prayer is that we will uh, honestly come to this point where we are asking God, to redeem our words for good, all right? That we will be reminded of how powerful um, our words are. And so when we are reminded of that, we'll choose them and use them very carefully. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And then we will see uh, kind of one aspect of this today. And then next week, we will kind of fill in the other aspect of it. But Proverbs 18, verse 21 says this, that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your words. God, we thank you that when words have stung us, when words have hurt us, when words have belittled us and brought us down to nothing, God, the redemption is not ours. It is yours. The battle to be restored is not anything that we can do on our own. It is yours. God, we're reminded this morning that the battle of our tongue and the battle of our heart, it is not ours, but it is yours. And so, God, I pray this morning that we will step aside and let you do the battle. And we will simply watch the victory. God, this morning we are going to deal with a subject that is not easy. Because for so many of us, it's going to bring up past hurts. For so many of us, it's going to bring up past pains. And it's going to open up wounds and scars. But God, I pray that we're reminded, God, that the battle is yours. And that our worth is so much more 
than what other people have told us we are. Our worth is so much more because of who you are and what you have done for us. God, for some of us, these wounds and these scars are not because of the words of other people, but God, for some of us, we're going to be confronted with the reality that we are the ones who have caused those scars for other people. And so, God, I am praying this morning that you will use your word to speak to our hearts. God, that you will redeem us so that we will redeem our words. God, so that we will speak words of life and not words of death. God, that we will choose the words that we use wisely. God, that we won't be guilty of leading someone into a path that they didn't want to go down because of the words that we chose to say. God, I pray this morning that we are reminded in such a powerful way that our words are so strong and our words are so powerful. God, that we won't abuse them any longer. And so, God, I pray that you speak. God, I pray that we will listen to you. God, with an obedient heart this morning. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I read a story this past week. Sorry, every time I hear that song, I can be riding down the road and I just start doing this. Uh, Especially when I have my daughters in the back seat. Um, So you're not getting any special treatment. Sorry if you thought this was just for you. Um, This this isn't it. Every day that song comes on. Um, I read a story this past week about three men who were set to be executed. And um, they were set to be executed by the firing squad. And so... They were, they were brought into the place of the firing squad. I was going, thank you. I meant to grab one of those earlier. Um, and I should. There we go. If you guys that are new to us, this is common. All right, this happens. All right, so let me get back. I read the story this past week about these three men who were said to be executed, and so they um, brought them to the place of execution, and uh, they, they lined them up. They were going to execute them one by one, and... So the guard went and got the first one. He brought him over to the guy in charge the, of the execution. And the guy in charge of the execution looked at him and said, All right, this is it. This is your last moments. Do you have any last-minute requests? Anything that you uh, want for your last minutes? Anything you need to say? And the first guy looked at him and said, No, I don't, I don't have anything at all to say. And he said, All right. So he took him over there and he put him in place and he stood him in front of this wall. And the commander looked at the firing squad, and he started to give these commands of of what you would yell uh, to a firing squad. And he said, ready, aim. And then all of a sudden, the man who was standing there to be executed yelled, earthquake. And everybody just kind of was shocked and and kind of looking around. And so he took off running and made an escape and and got out of there, right? And so then the second guy, and and they, they finally gathered everybody back together and tried to figure out what happened. And they just didn't even worry about that guy because he was gone. So they went and got the second guy. And the guard brought the second guy over to the executioner. And the executioner asked him the same thing. He said, all right, buddy, this is your last moments. Any last-minute requests, anything that you need to say, anything you need to get off your chest, this is your moment to do that. And the guy said, no, I don't have anything to say. He said, all right. So he took him over here and put him in front of this wall in the firing squad. And he gets ready. He steps out of the way. And he starts the commands, ready, aim. And all of a sudden the guy yells, tornado, and points up to the sky. And so all the people that are, have these guns looking at him, pointing at him, they're looking at the sky, they're all trying to figure out what's going on, so he takes off running, he escapes, all right? And so now the third man sitting over there, he thinks he's got this whole thing figured out. He's like, all right, I got this. This is not a problem at all. So the guard goes and gets the third guy, brings him to the execution. The executioner looks at me and says, all right, buddy, this is your last chance. Anything you want to say, this is your moment to say anything, last minute request. And the guy said, nope, I don't have anything to say. He said, all right. So he brings over, put him in front of the wall, and he, he steps out of the way and gets out of the way of the firing squad, and he says, ready, aim. And the last guy yells, fire. And then he quickly realized that was not the correct word that was going to bring life to him in that moment. 
You see, sometimes we forget that the words we use really do have the power of life and death. There are some words that will bring life, and there are some words that will bring death, not only to us, but to others. And so we, we must choose our words that are helpful and beneficial, not only to us, but others. And, and, and we have to be careful not to use words that are dangerous. And even a, a simple word is fire can be both of those. It can be a life-saving word if you're using the right context. If this building was on fire and we yelled that, it would be a life-saving word. But in the wrong place at the wrong time, it is definitely the wrong word because it's not a life-saving word. It is suddenly a, a death word, a word that brings death. And so we have to use our words very carefully, and we're reminded throughout the book of Proverbs what we read already in chapter 18, verse 21, that when we speak, we speak two types of words. When we type or, or text, when we message, we type or text or message or whatever kind of communication we want to look at, you're speaking or typing two types of words, either words that are going to bring life or words that are going to bring death. And so this week, we're going to focus on the words that bring death. And next week, we'll, bring, uh, we'll talk about the, the words that bring life, how to bring life and redeem these words. And so I want us to understand uh, that our words have this amazing, amazing power behind them and, and it may not directly result in death but it can be a contributing factor there's a lot of time when someone passes away they, they have this is the cause of death and these were things that contributed to it and so we're going to see as we kind of look through several different proverbs that our proverbs or our words may not be the reason the, the, the exact reason of a death but man it can be a contributing factor to someone's death they are that Powerful, And so we want to look first off at what do these words cause? What kind of destruction do they have? And the first thing that we see is that words of death, according to Proverbs, are self-destructive. That they are often, we think of words that hurt other people as the ones that bring death. But the truth is, they don't only hurt other people, that we can damage ourselves and hurt ourselves with the words that we use. And Proverbs and Solomon... He gives several proverbs about this, but two I want to look at this morning. And the reason I want to look at these two is because they address two different groups that are abusing these words that cause them self-harm. The first one is in chapter 12, verse 13. And Proverbs, or Solomon points out in 12, 13 that the words of an evil man are self-destructive. And he writes this, he said, An evil man is trapped by his rebellious speech, but a righteous one escapes from trouble, And there's a bit of irony in this verse of what he's saying here because an evil man is someone who has intentions of hurting someone else, of, of doing pain or doing misery to someone else. And so an evil man in this context is someone who's intentionally using words to hurt someone else. Okay, And we're going to look later at how he does that. All right? That's the second part of what we're going to look at. But now that we're just looking at this is what he's doing. He's using words, either abusive words or gossiping words, or we'll get to all those in a minute. But he's using words with the sole intention of I'm going to hurt someone else. I'm going to cause someone else misery. I'm going to cause someone else pain. That's what makes him evil. That's why he's described that way, because he's intent on hurting someone else. But what Solomon tells us is that, notice what's going on, this weapon that he's using for someone else actually is a weapon that traps himself. The word that Solomon used for trap is often used as a noose or a snare, um, or sometimes it can be even used as a net, all right, that's used to catch birds or catch fish. So I want you to picture this for just a moment, kind of this, this wording that Solomon is using, that there's this man out there, and, and maybe it's a woman 
in your case, but there's a person out there who is so busy weaving a net to capture other things, right? Capture other people, right? They're so busy weaving this net together to make this the perfect trap so that someone's going to be in trouble. Someone's going to get trapped by this. And they're so busy, they're so intent on weaving this net so perfectly so that nobody can escape or, or that somebody gets caught in this net that what they don't realize is that while they're weaving here, they've kind of either got their shirt tail tucked in and in, into the fabric of what they're weaving or that they weave, the, they weave themselves into this net that suddenly they become entangled or entrapped in their own net, right? I want you to think of it this way, that somebody who, um, in the cartoons, there was, uh, and I don't remember which one it was, but there was, uh, um, there was a cartoon that, that he was trying to capture a, a, a mouse or something like that. So what he did was he put mice traps all over the floor, right? Tom and Jerry, that he was he was putting he was putting mice traps everywhere, and then he realized that he was kind of in this corner, and he was surrounded by traps, and he couldn't go anywhere without stepping on those traps. And if you've seen that cartoon, you know how it ends. That the mice comes and he kind of just like skips over the traps, and then the cat goes and tries to chase him, and he ends up with like. Uh, mouse traps on each finger, each, each toe, on his nose, on his tail, and he's the one caught, and he's the one screaming. And that's what Solomon is describing, not the cartoon, but that's the situation that he's describing, that the words that were intended to hurt someone else actually came back, and that's what catches you. The words that you intend to harm someone else with, they actually come back and they lead to your downfall and your destruction. The words of death that you use against someone else will be what causes your own death. And so these words that you use, be careful because they will come back to bite you. They are destructive to yourself as much as they are to someone else. You will find yourself trapped in your own web and trapped in your own net. And he, he addresses another group. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 7, and he warns this other group about the self-destructive power of their words. In chapter 18, verse 7, he says, A fool's mouth is his devastation, and his lips are a trap for his life. Uh, we talked about who a fool is a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and a fool is described through the book of Proverbs. It doesn't give this exact definition, uh, but when you kind of string what uh, uh, he uses it to describe a fool, it's someone who's arrogantly ignorant, okay? Now, we talked about that. Someone who knows nothing but thinks they know it all, all right? And they're going to make sure that you know they think they know it all because they're going to tell you, all right? This is someone who talks a whole lot but doesn't really say much of anything, right? They are an expert on every subject, and yet they don't know anything about any subject at all. They're the ones that are not content sitting listening to a conversation because they've got to be in the conversation, even though they don't know the subject of the conversation as good as the two people in the conversation, but they're going to make it sound like they do, all right? So if you're really not confused at this point, understand that this is someone who talks a lot but doesn't say anything valuable because their wisdom is not, or what they're saying isn't come from a place of wisdom. It comes because they think they're smart and they want you to think they're smart and they think the way to convince you of that is just keep talking, all right? And so they are arrogantly ignorant. They just keep talking and talking and talking so that you think uh, they can kind of talk in circles around you so that you think, wow, that person's really got a lot to say. And then maybe you sit back later and you're like, but do they really? 
Like, they said a lot. There was a lot of words coming at me, but I don't remember anything valuable coming out of what they said. And so what he says in this verse is that this person is so busy talking all the time that they're actually setting a trap for themselves. This is really, this becomes their devastation. This is someone who talks themselves into a corner and can't back their way out of it. This is the person who, who, uh, they don't have the mental capacity or the ability to do what their mouth says they can do, right? Their mouth works faster and, and further than their brain and their ability does, right? So here's what this looks like kind of in a, in a um, business setting, if you will. This is somebody who you're sitting in a conference room with or you're sitting in a meeting with, right? And someone's giving you information and they've got the solutions, right? They're telling you, well, this is what we need to do and this is what we need to do and this is what they need to do. Even though they're not the expert, the expert was called into the meeting. Some of you have said in meetings like this, the expert's the one giving you the information, but so-and-so here on the left, Johnny here on the left, man, he's got all the answers. And so finally the boss looks at Johnny and says, listen, sounds like you've got this all figured out. Why don't you take this project and why don't you go run with it? And then suddenly Johnny is faced with his own destruction because Johnny has to come up and either fess up or fake it because he doesn't have any clue of what's going on. Why? Because he was too busy talking and not listening to what should have been the solution in the first place. Right? He was too busy talking, trying to make everybody think that he was impressive or knew what he was talking about, but he didn't. And so he's the one that ends up paying the price. And so this messes up Johnny's career because suddenly um, when he has something important to say, nobody listens to him. Because he's been in this situation over and over and over where he's talked a big game, but he didn't follow through with a big game. And he's talked like he knew what he was talking about, but then when rubber met the road, he didn't have any clue of how to fix what X, Y, and Z was. And so then at the moments that he does have clarity, nobody listens to him because all the times before, he's just been all talk and no show. All talk and no reality. And so he's really messed up his career, and this kind of no one takes him serious at this point. And the trap at that point has already been sprung, and his destruction has already happened. At that point, Johnny only has one option he's got to leave and go somewhere else and start a whole new reputation somewhere else. You see, this is what Solomon is really telling us that, that we don't just hurt others with our abusive words, that when we, um, when we abuse the wonderful gift of speech and language that God has given us, man, often it comes back to bite us that we're the ones that's going to pay the price for it. And so the gift of speech that's, that we use to intend to hurt other people or that we tend to, to talk too much, man, those things are our destruction. And so for some of us, we've had this idea of we can say what we want to and, and I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounce off me and stick to you. We forgot that when, it's, when it bounces off somebody else, it's really coming back to us. That we can, we can think that we're going to use those words and we're going to hurt somebody else. And what Solomon's telling you, listen, be careful the words that you use because those are the words that will bite you. Be careful at the words that you use because those are the words that people use against you and those are the words that people will, will use kind of um, uh, uh, to cause your destruction. And here's a big one. Be careful the words that you use because those are the words that God's going to judge you by. That's a whole different reality when we start to think that our words are not just harmful to others, but our words can be harmful to us. Let's see, let's be honest, we're all a little bit selfish, and we all think of ourselves maybe a little higher than we should, and so we might be all right using words if we think this is not going to hurt us, but suddenly what Solomon is reminding us, hey, these words, they're coming back to you. 
In one way, shape, or form, these words are going to be the trap that catches you. Your words will be self-destructive, and they can end up hurting you probably worse than anybody else. But see, our words of death, they don't just end up hurting ourselves, but those words of death kind of permeate throughout society and all around us, and they start to cause this rot and this disruption. And that's the second thing that the, the words of death cause is societal disruptions. And I want to show you through the book of Proverbs that these societal disruptions really start small, right? Really kind of innocent. We don't even think about them, but man, they really bloom into something that, that's huge and this huge problem. And so uh, there are two Proverbs that show us how these disruptions really start, really small. And the first one is Proverbs 16, 28, and the second one is 17, 9. I know I'm throwing a lot of Proverbs at you, and you probably don't have time to look them all up, but just uh, jot them down or, or write them or highlight them there on your outline so you can go back and look them up later. But 16, chapter 16, verse 28 says, A contrary man or a deceitful man spreads conflict. And get this, a gossip separates close friends. You see, that very same idea occurs in, the, in chapter 17, just a chapter later in verse 9, where Solomon writes this, that whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Right. So really, this idea of this gossip, and we'll get to that in a little bit, kind of what it is and what it looks like. Uh, it's kind of the time factor of these two verses, but I want you to notice something in, in these two verses. The subject of those two verses is singular. There is a gossip in chapter 16. In chapter 17, there is whoever, which is singular in this passage. Right? So there's a gossip and whoever gossips. Right? So one person doing the gossiping, but I want you to notice the direct object, the person or the things that are affected by the verb of the subject. Right? They are plural. Okay, So one person doing the gossiping is affecting more than one person. They are affecting multiple people. In fact, what it says is that they are separating friends. Well, if you've got friends, you've got to have multiples. You cannot have a singular friend. That, that's just odd. Otherwise, it's like an invisionary or imaginary friend that you have, and um, it just doesn't work in, in kind of our world. But th there's this idea that one person's gossip multiplies and affects people, and these people actually are very close friends, and it causes them to separate. So the actions of one person doesn't just affect that one person it affects multiple people and what we find is that one person can take the unity and friendship between two people and really break that apart and what's replaced with that is mistrust and kind of apprehension towards each other suddenly these two people that were connected to each other that had each other's back they were always with each other always ready to defend each other always ready to go to war for each other suddenly don't trust each other anymore right and i don't know about you but i don't want to be on a battlefield with somebody i can't trust to have my back I don't want to be in the trenches with somebody that I'm not sure is going to shoot over my head or in my back. And so suddenly, if that's the case, if I suddenly can't trust the people that I used to trust the most, then I'm not willing to protect them. I'm not willing to defend them. I'm not willing to go to battle with them and for them anymore. Suddenly, I don't trust them, and so I keep them at a distance, and I don't allow them kind of in my circle, and I don't trust them, and I'm not willing to do the things that I would do for them anymore, right? I'm not willing to loan them things that I would loan them before. There's this suspicion and skepticism that's now working between the two people who were close friends. There's this disconnect that happens from within. And see, this problem, it doesn't just stop with just these two friends. Because most likely, if they gossip about these two friends, they're going to gossip about these two friends, and they're going to gossip about these two friends. So you have suddenly this little pocket of friends that are mad at each other and disrupted, and this little pocket of friends that are mad and disrupted, and this little pocket of friends that are mad and disrupted. And so suddenly what you have is not these little individual pockets. Suddenly you have a whole society 
that has fallen into this idea that unity is important, that we now we distrust and we're automatically suspicious of everyone because somebody is the mole. Somebody's letting all this, uh, this information out, and we don't know who it is, so we just mistrust everybody. And that's what we see in chapter 11, verse 11, when Solomon wants this. He says, a city is built up on the blessings of the upright. Get this, but it's torn down by the mouth of the wicked. You see, now the whole city, the whole society is suspicious of each other. None of them are willing to trust each other, much less defend each other. None of them are willing to, to protect each other. The whole society that was tied together by unity and closeness and friendship, those ties are gone. And so now you have a bunch of people who are only looking out for number one. Let me tell you, any society that people stop looking out for the common interest and stop these bonds and connections they have with each other, they only become, they become suspicious of everyone, and they're only looking out for number one, what you have is a society that is quickly getting ready to fall. Because when an enemy attacks, nobody's going to protect each other. Nobody's going to stand up for each other. Nobody's going to defend each other. In fact, no one's going to help each other. You have a society that, that is getting ready to be destroyed completely. And you see, this society is not disrupted by a worldwide pandemic. It's not disrupted by a natural disaster. It's disrupted simply by the words of a few individuals. And these words can bring death because this disrupts the peace and unity that exists between the close friends. And it breaks down the bonds that, that build our society together. And the words of a gossip and the words of the wicked tear those things apart. And they leave a society where no one trusts anybody. No one's willing to do anything for anybody. And no one's willing to protect or defend anybody else. All because the words of a few people. It can interrupt and disrupt a whole society, a whole culture. There's one last thing that we see, the kind of this devastation that happens, and it's very severe when we abuse their words. It leads to this severe devastation, not only for our friends and for our city, but for society as a whole. And these words of death almost always cause this severe devastation. Solomon gives this very real word picture um, that for some of us who watch the news, this is, I'm going to show you how real this word picture is here in just a moment. But in chapter 16, verse 27, he makes this connection of what our words are like. And he says, A worthless man or an ungodly man digs up evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Two words, a scorching fire. I want you to hold on to those for a moment because I don't know if many of you watch the news, but if you watch the news lately, um, you know that uh, in the western part of the United States, there's this thing called the fire season. We don't have this around here, but in the western part of the United States, they have fire season. It runs from June to September where all these wildfires pop up. And, and some of them are small. They, they burn about three or four acres. Some of them are five acres. And then some of them get kind of bigger. There's one, the major one that they're dealing with right now is called the bootleg fire. All right, And I just love it because that's the name of it, the bootleg fire. All right, But in two weeks, I want you to get this picture, in two weeks, this fire has burned over 340,000 acres. It's destroyed over 75 homes. Right? This, this fire has become so intense, and by the way, it's only about 25% contained, so it's going to get worse than what it is right now. This fire has become so intense that it has started disrupting the weather patterns around it. You see, typically a fire is small, and the weather kind of controls the fire. The winds control the fire. The, the rain controls the fire. This fire has become so intense, it's changed the wind pattern that's around it, and so it's actually controlling the weather that's around it. And so the smoke from it has already reached all the way across the United States, and so places like New York City are having haze because of this fire that's in Oregon. Right? This fire is so intense that it has literally been observed as to ignite an entire standing tree all at one time. 
Right? I want you to think about that power for just a moment. Right? Most of the time when a fire burns, it starts just very small and burns part of a tree at a time. I want you to imagine a, a fire so intense that you see a tree, a live tree, a healthy tree. standing there that's got, and maybe it doesn't have leaves on it anymore, but maybe it's, it's just it's a good healthy tree. And all of a sudden this fire comes in and it's so intense heat that the whole thing just bursts into flames by itself. That's how intense this fire is. That's the exact kind of fire that Solomon is describing here with our words of our mouth. It is a scorching fire. A fire that's so intense, it leaves nothing unchanged. It, it, it can take a complete forest and reduce it to a pile of ashes. It, it can uh, change an entire ecosystem and leave a whole area of 340,000 acres plus devastated for years. And I want you to see this, that when a fire like that happens, it's not a quick recovery process. You're not going to go and look at those 340,000 acres that have been burned and next week there's going to be a new forest there. It's been estimated that this fire is so intense that it's going to take 40 years, 40 years before that forest is back to its original condition. And that 40 years is only if professionals come in and replant the trees. If we let nature try to heal itself, it's going to take over 80 years to do that. Right? So I want you to see the damage that's done by this intense fire is going to take 40 to 80 years to be able to recover from. There are people that literally saw their house burn down and saw this fire so intense that they're not going to live long enough to see the recovery of this fire. Now put that in the context of what Solomon says about our words. Our words are so powerful that for sometimes it could take 40 years and professional help for people to recover from them. It could be so intense that it could take 80 years of struggling and heartache to recover from what we said and what came out of our mouth and what we put on a screen somewhere. Most of us don't have 80 years left in our life to recover from words that someone put in our life. There are people sitting in this room, there are people there watching online who will never fully see their recovery because they don't have 40 to 80 years to replace all that's been taken from them. And that's the 40 years if they get professional help to do it. You see, our words are as powerful as the bootleg fire that's burning 340,000 acres and leaving a complete area in destruction and devastation for 40 to 80 years. I want you to understand there is weight behind every word that comes out of your mouth. There is weight behind every text that you send. There is weight behind every tweet that you send out. There is weight behind every meme that you post everywhere. There is weight behind all of it. And it's as much as the life and death that is in the power of the tongue and the power of the language that we use. And we need to remember that it is so powerful. So now we're left with this question of if it is that powerful, how do we avoid those things? How do we avoid being the one that causes that fire? And how do we be the one that avoids causing such pain and heartache, not only for other people, but for ourselves? And we're going to do that. We've got to see what is it that, that would bring death? What are words and what are the language that we would use that would cause death to happen? And so in the book of Proverbs, Solomon gives us five different examples of speech that can bring death. And the first kind of speech that brings death and destruction is lying or slanderous speech. And, and a few weeks ago, uh, we went through several Proverbs about integrity and why integrity matters. And I'm not going to list all those out to you, but simply get this idea that integrity matters to us because it matters to God. And if it matters to God enough for Him to use that word over and over and over again, 
and, and talk about it that much, then it should matter to us as well. And so if you didn't get that sermon, you can go back and watch it online. Uh, but in regards to our speech, I want to just point out a couple Proverbs. And uh, they're both in chapter 10. Um, and chapter 10, verse 10, actually starts off this way. It says, A sly wink of an eye causes grief, and foolish lips will be destroyed. You see, the sly wink of an eye is what you do when you say one thing, but you mean something else. It's a code that says, hey, this is, I'm going to say what I have to say, but I really don't mean it. I'm going to say what I need to say, but you know my actions and my intentions are very different. So what he's talking about is kind of this, this is the code to let you know as my friend that if you're watching and paying close enough attention to me, if you, if you see this slight little wink when I say something, you know that what I'm saying is not true. And so it's a, the modern day version of it is, you know, the crossing your fingers. I don't know if you ever did that when you were a kid, but you cross your fingers behind your back and then you can say whatever you want to. It didn't have to be true because you crossed your fingers, all right? The kindergarten teachers know what I'm talking about, all right? They, they get this. And so this is what he's talking about, this sly wink, this idea that you're saying one thing, but you're meaning something else, that you're concealing something. You're, you're giving this idea that's not true. And he, he picks up on this a little heavier on, in verse 11, the very next verse. He says, The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals Violence, And I love this set of verses because it sends this very clear message that we often overlook. And we talked about it just a second ago. That everything we communicate, everything that we communicate, whether it's with our eyes and our body language or the words that come out of our mouth, are all held to the same standard. You see, that's what he puts together. He, he sees this connection between the, the slight wink of the eye that causes grief and the foolishness of the lips and the mouth of the wicked. And he puts these words together. And so our body language and the tweets that we send, the memes that we post, the texts that we send, all of it is connected. All of it is powerful in the same kind of way. And in the context, it's all used to conceal this something. It means that we're not being fully open and honest about the truth. It means that we're not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about integrity, we said that anything that's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is a full lie. And so what he's telling you is that these things are destructive and they bring death. A few verses later in chapter 18, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 18, he gives us a similar idea when he says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Again, there's deception, there's cover-up, there, there's not revealing the full truth. And he goes on to say that whoever spreads slander is a fool. Now, slander is a little more specific. Slander is kind of this idea of, of false or unsupported information. Right? Now, most of us, wouldn't kind of we wouldn't think of ourselves in that category. Let me give it to you this idea that if you spread something you intentionally know is false, you are a slanderer. All right, and according to the word, you are a fool. All right, which puts you back in that category of being an arrogant idiot. All right, and puts you in that idea of, of this is not good for you. All right, so if you reveal information, you pass on information that you know is not true, you are a slanderer. But that's not the end of it. It's also information that you don't know is true that you cannot completely 100% say, I know this is fact because I witnessed it, I saw it with my own eyes, and yet you reveal it to someone else anyway. Right? It's telling information that, that could be true, but it might not be true. But you treat it like it's true and you share it with someone else anyway. You're just as guilty as telling a lie. If you cannot fully 100% back up the validity of what you're saying, then you could be guilty of slander. And so either way, you're sharing or something, telling something that, that you didn't, uh, I'm sorry, either way you've heard something or you thought you saw something that you didn't take time to investigate to find out whether it was really true, but you just went ahead and spread the information anyway. 
You see, those are things that ruin people's lives. There are people that have lost their jobs simply because someone shared a false accusation or someone shared slanderous speech. And, and any time that you say something you don't know is 100% true, then you're spreading words of death that can be devastating and have devastating effects on the people that you're talking about. Not just their, their lives, but their livelihood. There, there are men who are no longer in ministry because someone told a lie about something that happened or something that they did that later found out they didn't do at all. Can I share with you, people don't recover from those things. I want you to imagine that you're sitting at a job interview, even if you quit your last job, and they say, well, why did you quit your last job? Well, there was this accusation against me. Are you going to be honest in that? You see, that ruins people's lives. I can share with you there are teachers who are no longer teachers because of something someone thought they said or someone thought they heard something, and they brought up this accusation, and we see this devastating effect of it. If you need another example of it, go back all the way to the Salem Witch Trials. That's exactly what was going on. These teenage girls didn't like this lady, and so they made up these lies and these slanderous stories about how she was a witch, and it spread from not only her but all these other people who ended their lives, or they ended their life because of what somebody said that was not 100% true. You see, if we're not telling the full truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and we're not telling something we know 100% is the truth, we are guilty of slander. We may be guilty of something else as well. Ken Sandy uh, wrote a book several years ago about conflict resolution called The Peacemaker. And he gives this wonderful definition of gossip. And, and he writes this. He said, To gossip means that you betray a confidence or to discuss unfavorable personal facts about another person who someone, or excuse me, with someone who is not part of the problem or its solution. All right? Do you hear that? You're discussing something with someone else who is not part of the problem, not part of the solution. Right? And see, that's the second way that, that words become dangerous and words become words of death is that we are gossiping and we're sharing too much information with too many people who are not part of the problem and not part of the solution as well. Right? And so he really piggybacks greatly on chapter 11 of Proverbs, verse 13, when Solomon writes this. He said, A gossip goes around revealing a secret. But a trustworthy worthy person keeps a confidence. You see, slanders, they don't, they don't only tell false things, but they tell things they don't know they're true. In fact, they just tell everything. They get the information, and they, they look to see who they can share it with as quickly as they can. And they are sharing it with people who are not part of the problem, but not part of the solution either. I have folks sometimes that come in my office, and, and they immediately want to start talking about someone who's not present in my office. All right? They want to start telling me about this person, what this person's doing, or what this person's not doing, and what they've heard about this person. And so my response is typically this. Listen, I, I understand that you've got something, you've got a grievance, you've got a conflict with this person. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in my office, you wouldn't be talking about this. But I've got a better idea. Instead of talking about them, let's go talk to them. You know what I found 90% of the time? The conversation ends right there. Because we don't want to talk to the person, we just want to talk about the person. That's a gossip, right? If you're more willing to talk about someone than to someone, you are a definition of a gossip, all right? That is simple and truth. If you're more willing to talk about someone behind their back when they're not present, rather than talk about it, whatever the situation is, whatever the conflict is, to their face, if you're not willing to talk to them because they're the problem and you're the solution in your mind, then you're just sharing it with somebody else. Listen, if I go to, Jer or to, to Josh and I share something with Josh, and Josh, for all of a sudden, decides that Matt needs to know about this, even though Matt's not part of the problem, not part of the solution, and he goes and tells Matt about it, 
That's not Josh's job. The truth is, if I wanted Matt to know about it, I'd go talk to Matt about it. Because I would see Matt then as either part of the problem or part of the solution. So anytime you are sharing information with somebody who's not part of the problem, not part of the solution, you are doing it not to help the situation. If you're looking to help the situation, you're only talking to the person, and you're only talking about the problem, and you're only talking about the solution. You see, but there's lots of reasons that people gossip about different things. One is that it gives you this idea that you are superior to other people. It makes you feel better about yourself when you can talk bad about other people. The other thing it makes you feel superior about is that you know more than somebody else does. And so automatically you're better than somebody else because you know all the secrets and all the stuff going on. It becomes a weapon for you. Some people gossip out of boredom because, let's be honest, it's easier to talk about other people than about yourself. Think about that. Next time you're sitting down and, and, and you're with a group of friends, and how many of your conversations turn to somebody not sitting in that circle? You see, it's easier to talk about somebody than about yourself. It, because when you talk about yourself, you've got to become vulnerable and you've got to reveal information about yourself. And if you're sitting with a group of friends who are gossiping, you're not going to do that. Why? Because they're going to go reveal those secrets to someone else. All right? So they do it out of boredom because it's easier to talk about other people than themselves. They do it out of envy or they do it out of attention because they want to be the ones that know everything. They want to be the one when their conflict comes up that they know who their buddies are and where this information has come from. And they want to be the one that you run to to get the information. What's going on with so-and-so? What's going on with this? And so that's what makes Solomon's words in chapter 26, verse 20 through 22, so valuable. In chapter 26, I love this because it works very well with the fire idea in verse 20. He says, without wood, fire goes out. Get this, without a gossip, conflict dies down. Think about that. In your group of friends and the people you surround yourself with, the conflicts that you surround yourselves with, the conflicts that you find in your life, is there a person that is a contributing factor to those conflicts that may be the one bringing those conflicts because they are the gossip? Don't you see what he goes on in verse 21? He says, The charcoal for embers and the wood for fire, so is the quarrelsome man for kindling strife. In verse 22, I love this one. The gossip words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. You see, part of the reason that we invite the conflict is because we are addicted to the gossip that comes with it. Part of it is that we enjoy it ourselves, and we, we like to call other people gossips, and we like to say, well, I don't really gossip. I just, I just get information. Do you hear what he said? If you're getting the information, you're just as guilty as sending the information out yourself. You're craving information like choice food. It is something you are desiring, and you want to hear it so that it becomes part of your innermost being. It defines who you are. And so, listen, some of us may not be guilty of using our words outwardly to gossip about people, but we sure are guilty of receiving those words of gossip. And so let me give you two tests. You want to test how, you're, how you are in the gossip circles and, and, and how much gossiping you actually do? Here's two tests for you. The first test is this. Test your outward gossiping. For the next 24 hours, go 24 hours without talking about anybody that's not in your presence at that moment. To anyone. See if you can do it for 24 hours. And if you find yourself having to bite your tongue more in the next four hours because you can't talk about someone who's not in that room, you are probably guilty of gossip. Here's the other test. It's the inward test. Do not be in a situation or a room where gossip is taking place. So here's the true test. 
when you're with your group of friends, when you're with these people, and with your online or whatever, and all of a sudden they're starting to talk about someone else who's not present with them, walk away. And you're like, well, Michael, how's that test anything? Simply this. If you walk away and you don't remember that conversation, you don't want to be part of that conversation anymore, you're probably good to go. But if you walk away and something inside of you is just dying to know what's being said in that circle because you just have to know what's going on in that circle, then guess what? You're guilty of the gossip coming in. It's become a choice food for you that you are craving. If you just can't get past, I wonder what they were talking about. I wonder who they were discussing. If, if for the next 24 hours you separate yourself from any ounce of gossip and it eats you alive, then guess what? It's because you're addicted to the gossip that you're receiving. You may not be sending it out, but you may be guilty of receiving it, and so it eats you up. You see, the third way that we use words that are, are dangerous or words that are deathly is that we use abusive words. In chapter, eight, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 18, he says, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We'll talk about that second part next week because it's a great thing. But a piercing sword, there's only one use for a sword. It is a weapon that's intended to wound and to kill someone else. So when you use words that are rash, when you use words that are harsh, they are used with the intention of hurting someone else or killing someone else. And maybe not a person, but maybe it's the relationship. I can't tell you the number of spouses that have come into my office or that I've sat down with, and they start to recall these conversations they've had, and they started, with, they started to use this word, or they said this hurtful thing. Well, then what did you do? Well, I said this hurtful thing to them. Well, you, you told me that was hurtful. Why would you do that? Well, because they hurt me. And so I used my weapons of defense, which was my words against them. I intentionally hurt them. You intentionally hurt the one you love? Yes. Why? Because your words are powerful, and you did it to be abusive to them. You wanted them to hurt because they hurt you. You wanted them to hurt maybe because you wanted a reaction from them. And so you use words that you should never use in divorce. You drop the divorce word, or excuse me, you should never use in marriage. You drop the divorce word in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden the conversation stopped, or it changed drastically. Why? Because that's the nuclear word in a marriage. It's meant to be hurtful. It's meant to be painful. And if you use that word in the midst of a conversation or argument with your spouse, it is meant to draw a reaction. Guess what? You meant it for pain. You used it as a piercing sword, not to bring healing, but to, to, not to show the seriousness of the relationship, but you meant it to wound and to kill. And chapter 15, verse 1, carries the same idea. He says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. How often do we use words just to get a reaction? And they don't even have to be bad words. I remember when I was a kid, people would tell you they used bad words, cuss words, just to get a reaction out of people, that you had to use those words to, to get the reaction. Maybe it's not those words. Maybe it's just sharp, painful words, words that you know would cut your spouse or you know they would cut someone else. Maybe it's the words that you use to make fun of someone's weight or someone's abilities. Maybe it's the words you use uh, to, to bring someone down. But you used it with full intent of hurting them and causing them pain. And you did it rashly, and you did it harshly, and you did it because you didn't think those words would stick to someone 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road. But it didn't matter because you were just doing it to hurt them. In World War II, there was this concern about sailors who would go into bars, and they would get drunk, and they would share too much information as they were sitting in the bars with people they didn't know. 
And, and so the, the uh, War Advertising Council kind of got this idea that, listen, we, we've got this problem. We've got this group of sailors that are really sharing too much information, that, that are they're, they're getting drunk, and the Germans were really smart in, in bringing them, and they would buy them round after round after round just to get them talking. And I don't know if you've been to many bars. I try not to myself. Um, I, I avoid those at all costs. But if you've been around certain people who tend to, to have alcohol in their system, some of them get really talkative about things that they wouldn't talk about any other time. And you get a sailor who's a soldier to that many drinks, and they start telling you things they wouldn't tell any other time, like where their ship is at, what kind of guns are on their ship, where their next mission is. And so the War Advertising Council came up with this slogan, and they put it on posters, and they put it on banners, and they started putting it on bars, and putting it on ships everywhere, and the slogan was simply this, loose lips sink ships. You see, it's kind of this direct thing that we see, that this is often words that cause death, or words that we let out of our mouth without realizing that they came from a place of information that, that we think or we speak without thinking about it. I want you to see a couple of Proverbs. I'm going to throw three of them at you really quick, and then we're going to move on to the last one. Uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools, or mouth of the fool, blurts out foolishness. It just blurts it out. It just comes, right? And a few verses later, in chapter 15, verse 28, says, The mind of the righteous person thinks, uh, thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked, he just blurts out evil things. It just comes out, right? This, this last one, I love it, chapter 29, verse 2, or verse 20, says, So you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You, some of us know these people who love to, to say, well, I just don't have a filter. I just, if I think it, it just comes out. The truth is you didn't think, and that it just came out. Right? That's what he's describing here, is people that just blurt stuff out. Because if you thought, you'd have thought that wasn't the right way to say that, or that wasn't the good information to share. You were just gossiping, and you just blurted out. Fools blurt out foolishness. Wicked people blurt out wicked things. All right? Why? Because that's who they are. It's what's within them. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to process it. And what he's telling you is, listen, if you're guilty of just blurting stuff out that's foolish or wicked or hurtful or deceitful, it's who you are, and that's the reason you're just blurting things out. You don't take time to stop and think. Many of us don't take time to stop and process what we're getting ready to say. You, some of us love this idea that we can be online and we can, we can have these conversations online because there's a little bit of this, um, uh, the, there's this little bit of idea of, of it doesn't carry as much uh, weight if I just put it online. I don't have to be guilty of it if I put it online. And so you'll post things online that you wouldn't dare say to somebody else's face. Why? Because if you're face-to-face -face with them, you've got to see their reaction. You've got to think about what you would say. And so here's the thing. Don't post something that you wouldn't say if you were face-to-face -face with that person. Don't say it across their screen if you wouldn't say it to their face. You know, those loose lips, when you just say things because you're mad, when you just say things because you're upset, when you just say things out of reaction instead of thinking through them, you're probably speaking words of death. The final thing that brings words of death is these words that are divisive, that are intentionally looking to separate and looking to cause destruction. Two verses here, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4, says, A wicked person listens to malicious talk, and a liar pays attention to destructive tongue. I want you to notice... The, the subject here has switched in this verse. You see, the wicked person is not talking. They're listening to malicious talk. The liar isn't talking. 
they're paying attention to the destructive tongue. It gets that same idea that we're just as guilty of what we let in and hear versus what we let out. But here's the idea, that both of these, the wicked and the liar, they're listening to information that is to divide and destroy and cause mayhem to other people. They're looking to divide and destroy other people. Finally, chapter 18, verse 6 says, The fool's lips lead to strife, and his mouth provokes a beating. There are some people that their sole purpose for talking is to stir up conflict. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting with those kind of folks. I don't know if you've ever been friends with some of those folks. I don't know if you've had family members that it seems like every time they open their mouth, the only thing they want to do is to cause a fight. And usually they start with this phrase, well, I don't want to cause a fight, but... Listen, if you start with that comment, you probably want to start a fight, okay? I had a soccer ref one time that... that, um, I will go ahead and admit to you that when I was a soccer coach in the high school soccer coaching uh, arena, um, there were times that my words may not have been the most wholesome. Not that I was cussing, but um, I I did my share of yelling at at some players and some referees. But there was a, a goal one time that one referee said it was not a goal and it was against us. And the other referee overruled him and said, yes, that was a goal. It counts. We ended up losing that game by one goal, by the way. All right. But as the two referees were on the other side of the field talking about whether this was a goal or whether this was not a goal and, and how one of them had called it not a goal, who had the right call, he was in the right place, and the other one decided it was a goal, the one who decided it was a goal, he's got to come talk to me. And so that was his words. He walks over to me and he's like, Coach, we're not going to discuss this right now. But here's what it was. And my exact response was, you walked over here to discuss this with me and we are going to discuss this right now. Um, and I continue, I'll be honest with you, I continued discussing with him as he continued to walk away from me um, and got halfway across the field. But I continued the discussion, whether he wanted to hear it or not, he was going to hear that discussion. Um, and so I was using words of death, words of destruction, all right? I'll, I'll just be fully honest with you, um, that, that my job was not to, 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 it was to argue my point, and I wasn't trying to cause strife. I just wanted him to know that he was wrong and I was right, all right? That's really what it was. But there are some folks that will tell you real quick, I don't want to fight about this, or I don't, want to, I don't want to cause this distraction, I don't want to cause this disruption. Guess what? If you don't want to cause a fight, don't say it. Right? If you're sitting down with your family and you know that if you bring up a certain topic, now don't get me wrong, there are certain topics that you're sitting down with your family that they're going to disagree with, it's okay to talk about. But if you know that you're sitting down with your family and one of them has a very different idea about uh, what's going on, it's not worth ruining Christmas over. All right, and so don't start with, "Hey, I, I just I don't want to fight about this, but I just want to put it. I just want to jab this little knife in your stomach, and then you walk away thinking it's okay." No, what you want to do is you want to start a fight, and sometimes you're better off just keeping your mouth shut because you know that to continue that conversation is going to cause division. It's going to cause strife, and you're really not going to win that person over by fighting with them. What you're going to do is cause the other people sitting at the table at Thanksgiving or Christmas who wanted this nice, peaceful family meal to be so mad at you, they don't want to hear what you have to say either. Right? Sometimes it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove the doubt that you really are. Right? Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut than think that you can start a fight and you can win every argument. You see, I go over this list and I think of this list because if you have found yourself on this list somewhere where there's gossip or divisive words or hurtful words, then I've got to tell you the problem is not the words they're using. The real problem is the heart that you have within you. And one last verse I want you to look at this morning is Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, A good man produces good out of the good storeroom. 
for his, of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. Get this. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I want you to understand that if your words are destructive, if your words are divisive, if your words are gossip, if your words are slanderous, if your words are causing devastation and destruction for yourself and other people, your words are not the only problem you have. Your words are the problem because they're coming from a heart that is the problem. Most of us don't have a word problem. We have a heart problem. We have a heart that is divisive. We have a heart that craves gossip. We have a heart that is slanderous and liable. We have a heart that looks to destroy other people rather than building them up. And what he's telling you is, listen, if you come to the point where you saw yourself in any of that list, where it's gossiping or lying or slanderous or abusive words or, or divisive words, if you found yourself on any of that list, then your prayer doesn't need to be, God, change my words. It needs to be, God, change my heart. Because from the abundance of the heart is what the mouth speaks. You know why the fool blurts out foolishness? Because foolishness is what's in his heart. You know why the wicked person blurts out wickedness? It's because that's what's in their heart. And so for many of us sitting here this morning, we need a, a redemption not of our words, but of our heart. Because when our heart is redeemed, then our words will be redeemed as well. And for some of us, our heart has been redeemed, but we just, we just haven't allowed that to filter through. We haven't allowed the Holy Spirit not just to redeem our heart, but to totally redeem and totally fix everything within our heart so that our words are the part of it that needs redemption now. And so as we end our time together, we're going to end in prayer, but simply this, are you speaking because your heart has a condition that it is hurt, that it, is, uh, that it has uh, been broken are you speaking the words you are because your heart is not where it should be? Are you speaking words that are hurtful because you've been hurt by someone else? And if that's the case, then the redemption you have is through the battle that doesn't belong to you. Let's pray together.